And I'm just interested as someone who works with every kind of concept available out there and, and every type of owner, um, what your thoughts are on, on whether this thing is going to have any long lasting impacts and change the business model of the bar rail. So let me ask you a question and I'm going to have fun with you for a minute, Dan, if that's okay. Sure. How is SARS affecting your business today? No, it hasn't for one second. I don't want to share someone else's thoughts. I want to create my own original thoughts. I want to create my own original solutions. I want to look at situations and come up with my own phrasing, my own words, and do it my way. This is the John Taffer Podcast. Shut it down. Hello, hello. John Taffer here. Welcome to my podcast. I'm like sort of a happy guy these days. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling, Corey, as if things are starting to happen. What do you think? No, they are. I mean, I'm back on the podcast. You know? We're back here. We're still working from home, though. Right. So yeah, yeah. We've set up a great little studio at home in my home bar, those of you that can't see us. And, and, and we've been doing this now for, I guess, about eight weeks from home. But the bars opened in Las Vegas this morning. And that's a big step forward out here. So restaurants are up. Uh, bars are now up. Casinos are going to be next. And, you know, I was talking today. Think about this. Is there any business in the world that's better at sanitation than the restaurant business? I mean, think about it. Retail stores don't sanitize, uh, uh, right? Hardware stores don't sanitize. Furniture stores don't sanitize. They even know what the hell that is. So when you think about it, what industry is most equipped to make sure we're in a safe environment? Restaurants and bars. So guys, we've been dealing with bacteria since the inception of our business, which is an invisible enemy. So now we have to use different chemicals because viral uh, sanitation is different than bacterial. But the fact of the matter is we're good at this. So it's really time for the government to start to hand some of the responsibility back to us as an industry. It's time already. And this week, rather than having an expert on, I wanted to talk to you guys. So I posted online requests and I wanted people in the industry, people that are struggling, people that want to talk about this, to call me today so that we can talk together. I've had a lot of experts on it from the bar industry, theater, uh, 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 and now I want to hear from you guys. So I'm going to take some calls this week and we're going to talk about pandemic as well as any other thing that we want to talk about. But I want to start by thanking everybody for the incredible mail we got after last week's podcast. Guy, you guys loved Jake Steinfeld. So did I, by the way. Jake is an incredible guy. And if you didn't listen to last week's podcast, you really should. I don't think we've ever gotten more mail over a single podcast as we did last week, Corey. What do you think? No, it went great. So Jake is an incredible guy. If you didn't listen to it again, go back and listen to that podcast. It's a really, really important one. So, all righty, I'm in day 67 here in this pandemic. And I want to tell you guys a quick story. About two years ago in the restaurant industry, we had a real problem. We had no labor, right? Because of the economy, there was no job pool. We couldn't find people. Remember that? It was only about six months ago. Mm -hmm. We couldn't find employees. Then the minimum wage in restaurants was going up to sometimes two or three times the level that it was at now. And I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't have a higher minimum wage. I'm just suggesting that it has a really powerful impact on the business uh, uh, when you don't plan for it. And then the third problem that we had is since we had no labor pool, Corey, most of the employees that were available were new Americans. So they didn't speak English so well. So six months ago, a year ago, even two years ago, the restaurant industry had three problems. One, we had no labor pool. Two, the cost of labor was going up really, really quickly. And three, the labor pool that we did have was new Americans. We couldn't train them so well because there were communications issues. So when that all happened, 
I said, gee, I got to create the casual dining concept of the future that solved these three things. One, uses less employees because we don't have them available. Two, with less employees, it would reduce the cost to the restaurant. And three, if I could put in systems that really robotic cooking and systems like that that were really high-tech and cutting edge, I wouldn't have the training intensity that I used to have. So I put together a restaurant concept that involved robotic cooking, and I work with a company called Middle B that does TurboChef and all sorts of very high-tech robotic cooking systems. And I work with a company called Cuisine Solutions that works on a really high-quality chef-driven sous vide and very high-quality food items. And I put together a restaurant concept that, A, didn't need as much labor, so I solved that first problem of no available labor. Two, reduced employees in a kitchen by 50%, so that solved the higher labor cost issue. And three, had minimal training because it was so robotic, and that solved the new American communications issues. So that's what I came up with two years ago. So I spent a lot of money. I went into test kitchens and I went into equipment test kitchens and I started testing food and testing products and investigating robotic cooking techniques and technologies and oven systems and frying systems and baking systems. I worked with light cooking, no microwave cooking, light cooking, infrared cooking, heat cooking. We went through every scientific approach that there is. Then we worked in the test kitchens with sous vide product and played with things like 72-hour short ribs in sous vide and unbelievable quality fishes and beefs and proteins. Worked for two years on this thing to roll out a concept called Taffer's Tavern. And I thought, I've invented the concept of the future. I've solved the labor issue of no availability. I've solved the cost issue and I've solved the training issue. Then whammo, COVID happens. So we introduced Taffer's Tavern, now I guess about 10 months ago. We're selling franchises at an incredible rate. It's one of the fastest franchises in the food service industry. We're selling entire markets, five units, five units, five units. COVID happens. Suddenly, I realize, wait a minute. This kitchen is designed as if it was post-COVID. Think about it. We have less cooks. Everything is robotic cooking. It's not touched by human hands. It has minimal training. It's the safest, most sanitary kitchen I've ever created. Somehow, the work that I did because of Bar Rescue and being so adverse to the filth and the dirt, I focused on the fact, and I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, that the future of cuisine is technology more than chefs. And I'll say it again. The future of cuisine is more technology than chefs. Now, sure, fine dining, I'm not including that. I'm talking about mass feeding, mid-scale concepts, casual dining. You see, I can have a great chef make food in a commissary kitchen and sous vide it, package it and ship it to that restaurant and finish it in that restaurant and have incredible quality. I don't have the chef in the restaurant. I have the chef in the chain. The chef created the item, maintains the quality of the item. My point is this, somehow, The business planning that I did two years ago applies more today than ever before. And I wonder how many of you can think about that. So what about our industry works well now? What are the things that we're doing right, whether we're employees, whether we're in industry, and how do we tout those things? So right now we're starting to open up. There's real excitement. Restaurants are starting to open. Bars are starting to open. It's an exciting time. And my Taffer's Tavern opens in July in Atlanta. So there's not a lot of new restaurant companies opening now, but there should be. And here's what's fascinating. 
I thought franchises would stop. And here's a little word, a little positive encouragement for us all. I thought restaurant franchising would stop, but yet we literally just sold Boston the other day. And there's other franchises. There's opportunity here for all of us. Think about this. Yes, unfortunately, restaurants are going to close. Yes, unfortunately, bars are going to close. Yes, unfortunately, retailers are going to close. That sucks. I'll re-say it. That fucking sucks. I get it. I hate the pain, the suffering. There's nothing worse than seeing a small business close. And I've been an advocate of that my whole professional career. But when that business closes, it becomes an opportunity for somebody else. And if you think about it, some of the greatest locations and some of the greatest businesses in America might become available in the next few months. Real estate people are are, are salivating at the opportunity to come in cheap. People who've wanted to open restaurants before, you can probably negotiate the most favorable lease that you could ever get in your life. There is opportunity in this. So think of that forest that burns down, and then a few weeks later, those green buds start to come up, don't they? And some of those green buds grow faster than others, don't they? Wow, some of them sprout pretty quick, some of them not so quick. We gauge that. So when this ends, some sprouts are going to go much quicker than others. So there's a real opportunity to seize the results of the pandemic. Real estate opportunities. Opportunities to buy existing bars and restaurants that are already built out. New retail opportunities. New customer experience opportunities. There's an awful lot to happen. And the reason why I told you the Taffer's Tavern story is things that I did two years ago apply more today than they did two years ago. And I wonder how many of you have those assets in your businesses. So what I wanted to do today is I wanted to get a bunch of people on the phone. I want to talk to you guys. I want to see what the hell's going on. I want to talk to employees. I want to talk to business owners. I want to start solving some of these problems because candidly, the government isn't solving it for us. We don't have opening dates. We don't have standards. We don't know what's happening in July, in June, in August. We're all stuck. So it's really hard to make a plan when you're stuck. It's really hard to know how much money do I need to sustain during this when I don't know how long this is. So we've got to start getting our arms around this as a group. We need to start planning our sustaining and planning our opening. And there's great opportunity now. I'm starting to feel it. I can feel inside of me the negatives becoming more positive. I see opportunities for new products. I see opportunities for real estate locations. I see opportunities for new restaurant models. I see opportunities for new restaurant equipment, robotics, all sorts of opportunities out there. So let's stop thinking of only the negative now. We're starting to open. We're starting to make progress on respiratory drugs. Our our vaccine just did a great first trial, which puts it just several months away. So we're moving forward. Now is the time to move our lives forward. Now is the time to really start planning together with our family, with our friends, with our partners, with our bosses. When was the last time you called your boss to check in? Do that. When was the last time a boss called all of his employees to check in? I'm just calling to see how you guys are doing. It's important that we all keep in touch with each other. Keep this momentum together. Keep the team as a unit. So if you're in a restaurant or bar business and you guys aren't working, do a Zoom call. Get the team together for a phone call with the owner. Have some positive energy. Start talking about the future. Start planning. Start thinking about how we're going to come out of this together because we're going to. We are gonna. And I'm really convinced, Corey, as you notice, my attitude has changed these past couple weeks. Oh, absolutely. Well, 
I'm on a board of a hospital and I get to see a lot of inside information and there is encouraging news out there. What's interesting is sometimes we don't hear it. And you think people would be so quick to run to the news if they have a promising treatment or a promising drug, but it impacts stock values. It impacts investment amounts. It impacts competitive stock values. So there's a lot of moving pieces to making an announcement about a drug during this. So rest assured, sure, we hear some of the things that are going on, but we don't hear some of the other things that are going on. And I'm starting to feel a lot more positive. The bars opened in Vegas this morning. The restaurants opened a few weeks ago. So I want to talk to you guys. So when I come back, we'll start those calls. Talk in a minute. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. I wanted this podcast to be about you guys. I wanted to hear what you guys have to say. I also want to answer any questions anybody might have. And just, I think these dialogues are important, not only with experts, but amongst ourselves. So, Corey, who do we got? All right. First up, we have Dan from Seattle, Washington. He's a a fine dining bartender. Aha. Let's talk to him. Hey, Dan. How you doing, man? John here. Great, John. How are you? Good, man. You're up in Seattle? I am. I'm actually in Bellevue, a uh, big suburb right across the uh, the lake. Sure. Seattle. I know it well. That's a beautiful area, boy. I mean, you've got the yeah. mountains, the water. It's about as beautiful an area to live as I could ever imagine. That's why I can never leave. Yep. I don't blame you, buddy. So you guys went through hell. You sort of led the country on this thing, right? You guys got nailed yeah, first. Yeah, we did. But now it's calming down, yeah. isn't it? Are things getting better up in Seattle? It is. Uh, we should hear more from the governor this Friday, um, possibly as early as June 1st. We can move to phase two, and that's the first phase that includes restaurants and bars. Yeah, that's exciting. So are you in the business, Dan? I am, yeah. I'm a bartender at uh, El Gaucho in downtown Bellevue. Um, I've been in the business for 25 years, um, but I've been exclusively focusing on being a bartender since 2016 after I got burned out on being a GM. Oh, I got you, man. So, so, so uh, uh, you like it behind the wood? I do. Yeah, I like that uh, face-to-face interaction. I'm just not sure how long that's going to last, how yeah. long if we're going to have that. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting, Dan, and I was talking about this earlier today on one of the news channels that, you know, they've clumped bars and restaurants together when they talk about these regulations and such. So in the states where the restaurants are open, whether it's 50% capacity or 25% capacity, you still can't walk up to the bar. You still can't be seated right. at the bar. You still can't have people standing. So by effect, Dan, they should have closed the bar within the restaurant. You know what I mean? And nobody's addressing how to deal with the bar itself when we come out of the, uh, the pandemic. So so are you guys slated to open? We are. Our owner has committed to an opening date that will be 10 days after whatever the state says we can open again. We just want, we want to take our time and train the staff and kind of see other places kind of work out some of the early kinks. So uh, if it is June 1st, then, then we're going to, we're going to open up again mid mid June probably. Gotcha. So, so that's smart. I would have done the same way, by the way, just watch it for a few days, make sure all the systems are in place. That's really, really smart. So is there something you wanted to talk about today? I did, you know, I mean, it's, I'm typically an optimist um, when it comes to these things. And I have been from the very beginning, but, but the longer this goes and, and, and the more we understand about it, and I have nothing but time. This is week 10, I think, of, of 
sitting at home waiting for this thing to fire back up again. I, I do nothing but try to educate myself on it. And it gets kind of scary. Yeah, it sure does. And as someone who's not a young buck and has been doing this a long time and has kind of pigeonholed myself into this career, it's uh, I'm a little concerned about the, the future of this. And I've heard, I've heard ideas as extreme as uh, the bar rail business is never going to be the same. We're going to have plexiglass shields or, or maybe no bar rail business at all because the customers, even when we get past this, the, there's such a fear factor in the customer world out there that they may never be a hundred percent comfortable going back to the way things used to be. And I'm just interested as someone who works with every kind of concept available out there and, and every type of owner, um, what your thoughts are on, on whether this thing is going to have any long lasting impacts and change the business model of the bar rail. So let me ask you a question and I'm going to have fun with you for a minute, Dan, if that's okay. Sure. How is SARS affecting your business today? hasn't for one second that's my whole point so think about mm -hmm. this and if you've been reading like i have buddy there's a couple of things that are going on that's really really powerful there's a drug uh, uh larsen or lasar whatever i forget the exact name of it and i've been reading very heavily on this through friends of mine and i'm on the board of a hospital so i get some pretty good information that's a respiratory blocker and it's proven to, mm -hmm. to to really do a good job and if we can block the virus from the lungs that's where most people our fatalities are so there's that type of promise out there. I don't know if you've read lately, but the first round of trials on the vaccine went really, really well. And uh, yeah. Moderna. Yeah, and, some of that's based here in Seattle. Uh, yes. And, and so that's really, really encouraging, which puts them two trials away from a vaccine. Here's the way I think, Dan. I think a third of the people are going to come back out again pretty quickly. I think they're the younger people, the one that sort of fail infallible, right? And they're quick to get out there. I even have friends who've had the virus that can't wait to get out there. They almost have a license to go party because they've already had the darn thing. But there's a third of the sure. population that's eager to get out there. You're going to get that third. The second third of the population, I sort of call the reserve third. They're going to watch what happens for a few weeks. You're probably one of those guys. You want to see what happens. Are there any surges and illnesses? How are bars dealing with it? Are systems in place or procedures in place? Once you feel comfortable in a few weeks, then you'll come out. Then there's the third third, which is the certain third. That's the third that they're not going anywhere, Dan, until they know that there's a vaccine out there and they're 100% safe. They tend to be a little older. They tend not to be a bar audience. Right? They tend to be over 50. They tend right. to have pre-existing conditions. They also tend to have a pretty high disposable income, which, which really hits the luxury restaurant business, the upscale restaurant business, quite a bit. And I'm actually more For worried. Sure. In a restaurant sector, I'm more worried about upscale dining than casual dining. Uh, uh, so here's my point. I believe that in the next few months, and I'm generally an optimist like you are, Dan, but these you know, past few weeks, I'm home. I think this is my 67th day. It's tough to be optimistic sometimes. I mean, you put on the news, it's it's you know, it's like getting punched in the jaw again and again and again and again when you watch it sometimes. Yeah, but, it sure is. But the fact of the matter is, you know, you you did blunt it there. And we are on the other side of this. So here's my point. Yeah, I think the industry is gonna change for about six, eight months. I think it's gonna change probably till spring. And, and but I believe it's gonna come back. And I saw videos of casinos in in Arizona that opened last week that were full. Uh, uh, there's one in Idaho that opened that was full and, and I'm concerned because people aren't wearing masks and, and, you know, we all need to be a little responsible right now, but then right. I believe we're going to come back. I do. And what I'm worried about is us getting to that point. And when I look at a business like the one you work in, if we spend all our money sustaining it, 
on delivery and curbside and we really can't make money. We're just barely sustaining it. Then are we going to have the money to sustain it long enough until our real revenue opportunities come back again? So, you know, in talking with a lot of friends and being a consultant, as I know you know I am, uh, in some cases it makes sense. You know what? Just lock that baby down for 60 or 90 days. Hold your resources back. Work a deal with the landlord and open properly when you can. And Dan, I believe things are going to get better. People are too social. We're going to find a way to to get around this. Now, you might be using disposable glassware for a while. Right, you might be wearing a mask yeah. for a little bit. I mean, those yeah, kinds of might things. Might be wearing are, a mask for sure. Those kind of things are going to happen. But, buddy, they all want to come back. And, and you know, the second public building ever built in a bar, Dan, in America, was a bar. First was a church, and they were called yeah. public houses then, and they were the center of our community, and they were so important, important places. And I'm going to be philosophical with you for a second. They're that coveted third place, right? You have home, you have work, and then you have that third place that's so special in our lives. So we're going to come back, buddy. Hang in there. But there's a lot of ideas and things you can do. I have friends that are selling deconstructed cocktails that you shake at home. And they have disposable shakers that they put their logo on. So you can sell them because a margarita doesn't travel so well. Obviously, great mixed cocktails don't travel so well. (laughs) So there's a way to deconstruct them and sell them deconstructed. In states where you can't sell alcohol to go, I have friends that have deconstructed their cocktails and you add the booze at home. So all you need is a bottle of tequila. I'll send you the most perfect margarita you ever had in a little disposable shaker. Make that baby at home. So there are innovations uh, uh, that we can come up with to create some revenue. But you know, Dan, it's people like you, buddy, they're going to keep us going and your love of this industry. And I know when you well, go back there, you're going to, you. yeah. when you go back, you're going to be dedicated to our safety. And you know, as a final, no, more so than ever. And as a final note, we're good at this, buddy. We've been dealing with invisible bacteria since the inception of our business. We know how to clean our surfaces, how to wash our hands. As an industry, don't look at Bar Rescue because that's those few who don't. But as an industry, we are really freaking good at this, Dan. Don't you agree? We know sanitation. Yeah. So we got to change. I'm fortunate to work for for a really good owner and a a company that seems like they've got some great ideas already. I think we're going to do this right. So. Oh, I'm sure. And we've got to change a couple of chemicals because viral is different than bacteria. But the principles are the same. And, and we're going to get through this, Dan. With an owner like it sounds like you have, uh, you're going to be okay, buddy. But hats off for being such a professional and hanging in there. And I look forward, hey, thank you. I look forward to hearing from you in a few weeks. Why don't you give us a call in a few weeks after you're open? Let us know how you're going, how it's going. I'd love to have you back. I would absolutely do that. Okay. Call us a couple weeks after you open, okay? Okay, we will do, John. Thank you. Take care, Dan. Go outside. Take a deep breath of that beautiful Seattle air, buddy, and enjoy the day. <laughs> you got it. Bye-bye. You know, Dan's story is unfortunately way too common. Think about this. A, a lifetime bartender. He could have been a GM. He loves being behind the stick. That's what he wants to do. Well, it's going to come back, Dan, so hang in there, buddy. It's people like Dan that are the heroes of this business. He's not thinking of changing industries. He's not thinking of moving on. This is his life. This is his career, and there's millions of us out there. That's why if you're not in a restaurant business, please support a restaurant today. Buy a gift card, do a delivery order, do something. Let's keep our industry together. That's what's important. Who's next, Corey? All right, next up, I love her name, Paige Page from Athens, Texas. She's the only employee at one of the longest-running Texas theaters. Wow. Hello. Hi, Paige. This is John Taffer. Hey, John. How are you? Good. Did I catch you by surprise? 
Well, I'm just really excited to speak to you. I'm a, I'm a big fan. Uh, it's really nice to talk to you, Paige. So one page wasn't good enough for you, was it? Well, actually, my first name is Paige, and then I married a Paige. I know, right? It was kind of a joke on our blind date. We were set up on a blind date. That's really funny. <laughs> so your husband's last name was Paige, and your first name was Paige. Yes, sir. So your yes, name sir. is Paige Paige. Yes, sir. P-A-I-G-E and then P-A-G-E. Well, I got to tell you, two pages are better than one for sure, right? I know, right? <laughs> I know. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. It really, really is. It's a, it's a great story. people will say, well, what's your first name? Yeah. And then I'm like, well, Paige. Well, ma'am, can I have your last name? Paige. <laughs> and I'll let this go on for a little while sometimes. <laughs> That's really fun. So where are you in Texas, Paige? I'm in Athens, Texas. It's about um, a little over an hour from Dallas. Mm, okay. And how are you yes, guys doing sir. down there? We're doing okay. You know, a lot of the small businesses are struggling yeah. for obvious reasons, yeah. you know. Yeah. Now, you guys so, have been open um, for a while. Are, are, are people starting to go out more and more, do you think? Yes, sir. They they are. Um, yes, sir. They are. Uh, you know, when you were talking about everything that it affected, uh, you know, as a nonprofit, we're a nonprofit theater that I work for. And, you know, it doesn't benefit us to open up half capacity because we lose a lot of money that way. Yeah. You know, I've been talking, and, I've been talking to many of my friends and a lot of them are even on Broadway. And we had some Broadway uh, 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 people, on, matter of fact, on this very show just a few weeks ago, we were talking about it. They pushed their opening back to Labor Day. And they're worried about pulling it yes, off sir. for Labor Day. But it's a, it's a massive problem that we have. And, and spacing reduces your capacity in the theater setting. If you have a traditional kind of theater setting, it could reduce your capacity by 60%, 65%. Oh, easily, easily. And, you know, how do you put rehearsals on, um, you know, with a limited amount of people and actually portray on stage with a mask on? Yeah. Well, you we know, have the I same mean, problem in television. Uh, all television's been canceled, Paige. And, you know, crews, no different than your crews. They all work close together, right? You know, they're literally yes. side by side at the moment. They're, they're breathing on each other when they lift things and move things and move sets around and this and that. So what are the plans within your group? Are, have you talked at all about when you want to reopen? How are you going to reopen? Or are you still in a wait and look mode? We are kind of still in a waiting mark, uh, you know, for when it's not so bad with the social distancing part of it. And because, you know, a theater's closed Yes. and it, it's just, we want to make sure it's safe for the public, but we also have to consider our own survival. And, you know, it causes us to try to really think out of the box, but even thinking out of the box, anything you think of is going to be in a social setting. And, so, you know, do you it's sell a memberships? Do you sell memberships? Yes, and sir. So, so you generate revenue yes, in those kind of ways to sustain yourself? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, and that just, you know, brings in maybe 10% sure. of our income because, you know, this hit at a time, and I'm speaking for all nonprofits, mm -hmm. this hit at a time that is our major fundraising time. And a lot of nonprofits, not just in the theater, have been hit so hard. And, you know, a lot of our bread and butters are small businesses giving and donating and sponsoring. And the small businesses don't even have that right now. No, they don't. 
and uh, uh, everybody's looking for, for, for ways to generate revenues and generate some kind of support. Have you thought at all about getting some of your actors to do a virtual performance online? Yes, sir. And um, we're actually looking at some scripts mm -hmm. uh, for doing a radio show with the local uh, radio, uh, KCKL. Oh, that's a great. So, so that'll keep your name out there, but it won't generate much revenue. So the issue becomes how right. do you sustain yourself during this period of time as you wait? Well, you know, yes, sir. I'm on a board of a hospital page and, and, and I get to see a lot of information. And, you know, we are actually getting pretty close. And I'm an optimistic person, but look, I've been pessimistic on this show. Weeks ago, I, I did not have great confidences, but I've done a lot of homework. And through my board participation in the hospital, I get to see a lot of great information. And, and we have found, and it looks like it's going to work, a respiratory blocker, which is a big deal. You get the virus, but it doesn't affect your lungs. That's really, really powerful. We're, we just passed our first round uh, of trials of a vaccine, and it was a great round, 100%. So they're starting a second round. So the issue becomes this. I believe that we're going to get back reasonably to normal. I do. But that might not happen until the first of the year or so. So you have to be on a mission right now of how do you sustain yourself? So I'm guessing you have a theater, right? Yes, sir. And right now, actually, I'm going through um, the, I can't even begin to tell you how large our costume room is. And uh, we have two buildings. Uh, actually two stages and the costume area is just massive and right now I'm actually going through it and pulling pieces and we have a board meeting tomorrow evening and I'm going to talk to the board about actually selling off these pieces yeah. um, you know you have things that you've accumulated over the years and it's stuff we can spare anyway and but you know there's always a catch-22 when when you have yin, you have yang. Sure so everything does. bad, something good comes. So the good thing is uh, I've been able to really clean that theater <laughs> that it probably hadn't seen in many, many years because you've got so many productions and rehearsals and things sure. like that going on. You just don't have time to do it. Yep. So, so the theater is that ready. That part I'm very excited but when you sit yes, with your it is board, definitely getting ready. When you sit with your board, Paige, when you sit with your board, I have a suggestion for you. I really think that you need to have two topics. I think you have to have topic one is sustaining. How are we on a board going to put together a program to sustain during this period of time? Which means paying our bills that we need to pay, keeping the lights on that we need to keep on, and sustaining ourselves until we can reopen. And then the second part of the discussion is how do we sustain ourselves during this period of time and then have the resources to reopen when we're done? And that's really critical because you don't want to blow all your resources sustaining and then not making it to the finish line either, right? When efficient finish line yeah, is in don't. sight. So you need to think strategically in both of those ways. What is our sustaining plan? What is our reopening plan? How do we put away the money for reopening? Is it a donor program that we get involved in now to start raising money that we pocket for reopening? We don't spend it during sustaining? Or is it a donor? What kind of program is it so we find the resources to sustain ourselves? But I think it's really important, Paige, that you think of those two things separately and have separate budgets and separate understandings for both. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I never thought about having separate budgets for them. And that's really never important. even crossed my mind. 
Because again, you don't want to blow everything sustaining it so you don't have the resources to reopen. Now you can have a whole new funding program, a member drive program to reopen. You can create a lot of excitement around reopening, right? So so you can probably generate some revenue then to help sustain the reopening. Your focus has to be on, uh, on using the resources you have now to protect that reopening. Yes, definitely. Take care, Paige. Give us a call when your theater opens again. Uh, I'd love to talk to you as you guys are reopening. Maybe we can help you raise some money when you get closer to reopening. So keep in touch and let us know how you're doing, okay? Well, yes, sir. Thank you very much. I'll do that. Okay, take care. Boy, think of how important theater is. What Paige is doing is really, really important. Theater goes back to the beginning of our society. Think about that. The beginning of our civilizations. Think of Shakespeare and all the history that goes back to him. I'm guessing some guy once did a performance in front of a cave many years ago and it became a Geico commercial maybe. But the fact of the matter is theater is really important. It's not going anywhere. And sure, we're going to have to get through this, but theater will be back. I know it. Who's next? All right, this one's kind of cool. It's Dave from Pittsburgh and he wants to buy a bar, but he's having some concerns with the pandemic. Aha, well, let me call this guy myself. Let me talk to Dave myself. Hello? Dave, John Taffer here. Hey, John. How you doing, Mr. Taffer? I'm doing good. Call me John, please, buddy. Did I catch you by surprise? Yes, sir. Did I catch you by surprise? Nah, yeah, a little bit. I wasn't ready for you to call. I thought, uh, uh, I believe his name was uh, Greg or Craig, I forget. Corey, my producer. Corey, Corey, that's it. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I wanted to make sure you'd be home, buddy. So you're in Pittsburgh, huh? Yes, sir. Can I tell you a funny story? Years ago, oh, well, I still have my consulting company, but years ago, I used to work with Eaton Park out of Pittsburgh. I'm sure oh, you no know way. Eaton Park. And it's if those who don't know who are not in Pittsburgh or the Ohio area, Eaton Park is a fantastic three-meal-a-day restaurant chain. And I was a consultant to them for very many years. I remember when they opened up the coffee cafe in the front of the restaurants. Remember that? Uh, I was involved in yes, that. Sir. And, of course, they had the smiley cookies, which they're famous for. But Oh, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, but so so I'm a big fan of Pittsburgh, buddy. I'm not a big Steelers fan, but I'm a big fan of the city of Pittsburgh. So, Hey, I'll take it. I guess you will. So I understand you're looking to open a bar. Yes, sir. What are your thoughts? Tell me. So a little, little nervous um, given the current pandemic. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to get your thoughts and your advice and um, was thinking what are your thoughts of, acquiring a bar during the pandemic, and if you think it is a good idea. Well, a couple of things. One, you know bars are going to be closing. We're going to lose a percentage of them. So I own a franchise company called Taffer's Tavern. And, you know, the franchise world is a different world, but it's somewhat of an indicator. What's happening now is people are buying franchises right now from us and other people uh, because there's going to be a real shift in real estate over these next few months. In other words, bars are going to close. Restaurants are going to close. That means incredible locations might become available. Now, it could have been a great location, but the owner didn't have the resources to sustain himself during the pandemic. So let's talk about a couple of things so we can answer your question well for you. One, there's going to be probably the best real estate opportunities you've ever seen. So from that standpoint, you're probably going to be able to find a bar that's already built out, which will save you a lot of money, in a great mm-hmm. location uh, uh, at a good price. So I couldn't have said that to you three months ago. It would have been a whole different deal, Dave. Finding a great location at a great price that was already built out would have been a real challenge a few months ago. So in that part of it, 
it's a great, it's, it's boomtown. It's a great time to find a location. Now let's talk about the marketplace. So we have the pandemic going on. And as you know, even in restaurants, in states where it's 25 or 50% capacity, you still can't walk up to a bar, sit at the bar, do business from the bar. So bars are basically closed right now as far as sitting down at the rail of the bar itself. So the industry is, is struggling at this moment, which means you can probably get an amazing price on an existing bar, which is good. So here's what's going to happen, Dave. About a third of the population is going to come out quickly. A third is going to wait a little while and see what happens. And a third is the older group that's not going to come out for a while. What kind of bar would you open? A young person's bar? An upscale bar? Tell me. So we are thinking of a younger demographic, probably in the range of, you know, your 21s to 40, um, family-friendly, fun atmosphere. Um, We are going to focus the concept on um, hamburgers. Um, It's a, you know, blue-collar town, um, so a place where, you know, the local business professionals that work in the area and also um, a place where you can bring your family to. So you're looking at opening a restaurant bar, not just a bar. Yeah. Yes, sir. I believe if you have the capital to do this, now's the time you could negotiate with your landlord. And I have friends who have done this, and listeners in the business are going to appreciate this. Go to your landlord, negotiate a deal with the landlord that says you won't pay rent until the emergency is lifted and then 60 days. So you can negotiate a lease now with a landlord that considers the pandemic, because let's face it, people aren't standing in line to rent his space right now. So it's all the lease you negotiate. So what if you could sign a lease, not pay rent for six or eight months as all of this levels out, and then with an understanding with your landlord, when the pandemic is over and you define some mechanism, right, when the emergency is lifted, when the state restrictions are over, whatever you define, then you start paying rent. Well, you could control a bar now for six or eight months for nothing and wait until the right time comes after the emergency over and then start operating and then start paying rent. That's fascinating. So to think that you could buy something, not pay for it for a while, until business comes back and then pay for it as business comes back makes it a pretty exciting and uh, interesting venture, doesn't it? Absolutely. So that's what I would think about if I were you. What kind of deal can I cut with the landlord? Can I find a place that's built out? Uh, uh, If I can find a place that's already built out and I can cut a deal with the landlord or I give him a security deposit and and I don't pay any rent until I can open and that's defined after the pandemic is over, then you could be in the bar business right now, can control the space, can be getting it ready, can be planning, doing all that, not paying rent, only paying utilities, of course, because you got to turn the lights on. And then when the pandemic is over, then your business starts and you start paying rent. So you sort of can have your cake and eat it too. That's awesome. That's, uh, that's great advice and great intel. I really appreciate that. So the, anybody who's thinking of getting into this, understand it's a different world today. We can negotiate different deals with landlords. Everybody is struggling. Everybody wants to do that lease, uh, uh, Dave. They want you bad, buddy. So they'll work with mm-hmm. you. They might even give you some money to build it, a lot of landlords, if you come in and sign a lease, that they'd give you dollars to build it out. So go at this smart. It isn't whether you want to buy a bar or not. If this is what you want to do, Dave, you should do it. Just do it really smart, buddy. Do it really smart. Right. Okay? Absolutely. I appreciate the advice, and, you know, I appreciate your time as well, too. My pleasure, buddy. Give us a call in a few weeks. Let us know what you do, okay? I'd love to talk to you and get will an update do. and hear what you're doing. Yeah, we will do. Thanks, John. I appreciate it. Take care, Dave.
You know, it's interesting. I was talking about this in the beginning of the show. Think about it. Dave wants to open a bar. And is this the time to open a bar? Well, it's probably not the ideal time to open a bar from a revenue side. But on the other hand, think of the landlord. Think of the opportunities that exist now if you can buy a bar smart. So I think that that's really a good opportunity. And, and, and I hope Dave pursues it. He sounds to me like he'd be a heck of a bar owner. Who's next? All right. We have Ryan from Milford, Connecticut, and he's a supply chief consultant. Let's see what he has to say. Hello? Hey, Ryan. John Taffer here. Hey, John. How are you? I'm doing good, buddy. Nice to talk to you. Very nice talking to you. Big fan. Thank you. Where are you in Connecticut? Uh, Milford, Connecticut. Sure. Actually. Um, yep. Yep. Absolutely right on the water here. So nice little vibrant downtown, a lot of bars, restaurants. It's good spot. Sure. Fun. I grew up on Long Island. We used to take boats over to Connecticut from Long Island years uh, there you ago. Go. Yep. Uh, there you go. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I see it every day. Yep. <laughs> so how are you guys doing there? Are things calming down a little bit? Things are calming down. Um, we're actually opening up. Uh, outdoor dining uh, opens up tomorrow. I actually have a, uh, have a reservation at a uh, restaurant slash brewery that just, uh, that just opened up. They were slated to open up St. Patrick's Day, but obviously that didn't happen. So, uh, so excited to... Uh, to uh, get back out there. So it's just outdoor dining only here, though. Gotcha. I wouldn't drink the green beer. It's probably not good anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's probably not good anymore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was going to ask for it. I was going to ask for it. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you want to talk about, Ryan? So, you know, got me thinking. So I'm in supply chain, um, and I've kind of... Uh, in food supply? You know, uh, actually, so just I work for a, a small procurement consulting firm. Okay. And um, one of the things that got disrupted big time um, obviously is, you know, supply chain and distribution. And was just kind of wondering, you know, would a restaurant, you know, given, you know, the change in shipping costs and everything, would a restaurant have to adjust their menu? Um, given that maybe, you know, a particular menu item isn't as profitable anymore, if, you know, those certain types of food prices, uh, adjusted based off the current situation. Yes, yes, yes. And let me say what I mean. You know, if I have less dollars, right, because capacity is reduced, revenues are reduced, and I have to squeak more profit out of each of those dollars. I mean, that's right. just the only way I'm going to survive with this. When you cut my revenue in half, which is really what they're doing, right, Ryan, when Absolutely. they cut 50% capacity, I've got to make more money from that hamburger because I'm selling half as many hamburgers. I'm in trouble here. So I got a choice. Either I can reduce the size of the burger and re-engineer the plate, right? So I can mm -hmm. put a cheaper bun on there. I can give you less French fries. I can shave a couple of ounces off the burger and try to keep the pricing the same. Well, that's mm -hmm. a challenge because now, Ryan, you come to my restaurant and suddenly the burger isn't as good anymore. It doesn't have the perceived value. It's not as thick or whatever as it used to be before. So there's a real right. challenge in that. The other challenge is to keep the spec the same, not re-engineer the plate and raise prices by a dollar or two. Now, there are restaurants mm -hmm. that are actually adding a $2 pandemic surcharge to the menu. And I find it interesting. When we look at this psychologically, and I think you'll appreciate this, Ryan, what is going to impact people less? Now, everybody knows the restaurant industry is in trouble right now. Everybody wants to see their local restaurant stay open and not close. So a $2 per head surcharge during the pandemic, I think, would be better received by the customers than a smaller burger or an inferior Absolutely. product. So Absolutely. I really think as a restaurant, we need to protect our product integrity and ask our customers to help us through this crisis. And I think Absolutely. there's a way to do that. Now, that said, for sure, I probably have to cut my menu back a little, Ryan. Mm -hmm. Let's say I had 30 entrees for conversation's sake. And uh, of those 30 entrees, maybe there's eight of them that don't sell so much. 
So they don't mm-hmm. sell a lot, but I keep them on a menu because the few people who order it like it or it's part of the personality of the menu, those items are going to go now. So if I don't sell enough of it, I'm probably going to get rid of it. So totally menus are probably going to shrink a little bit, but I'm a huge proponent on protecting the product integrity and the supply chain. And, and, and I think it's critical that we do that, but there's another issue with this. And this I'm saying because I know that there are, are, are politicians who listen to the show and, and I interact with them often. We need an inventory credit in a restaurant business. You know, they've given a stimulus to cover payroll, rent, and utilities. Yep. But now I'm opening, right? I got to fill my refrigerator, my walk-ins. I got to buy exactly. new kegs of beer. I mean, I got an inventory exactly. expense. So our government yep. in this next round of stimulus needs to provide us with an inventory credit, a stimulus check that as long as I use it on inventory, it's not repayable. Now, if I buy my inventory, suddenly a guy like you goes to work, the manufacturer goes to work, the distributor goes to work, and the farmer goes to work. So this is a really important stimulus element to supply inventory resources so that we can feed the entire supply chain all the way down. So we're pushing really hard for this. And anybody who's listening should send an email or call their representative, post it online, do what you can. But we need inventory credits in our industry to get the supply chain going again. But that's really what I think is going to happen. What do you think, Ryan? That's great. No, no, I totally agree. We're actually, um, there's a couple, I know there's a uh, kind of like a brewery around here um, that actually is charging uh, $15 per uh, head that comes in. And, you know, when I first saw that, I said, that's, absolutely perfect you know it's 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 a uh, it's a business run by you know family run business you know obviously hurting during this time probably lost you know significant revenue during that period of time so the 15 dollars per head uh charges you know I'm, I'm 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 happy to pay it i'm happy to pay it you know so and so that kind of goes with your point you know don't sacrifice the product right. you know i think people are going to be more than willing uh to pay that extra just to help out the uh, the local establishment. Nope, couldn't couldn't agree more. Couldn't and agree more. I was super insightful. So now, when you take a look at this, the whole supply side uh, uh, challenges that we're going to have over these next few weeks and product consistency. Now we have some meat challenges coming up. Of course, guys like yourself who are procurement specialists become even more important. Absolutely. So absolutely no, and it's uh, it's, it's a challenge. It's 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 no doubt a challenge, but it's uh, you know it breeds new opportunity, new ideas. It know, does. So what's which is in- exciting? What's incredible in what you do is you get to supply both sides. You know, you get to feed the supply side and satisfy the consumer side at the same time, but it's a very important role. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's, uh, it's definitely, it's definitely very delicate right now, but you know, we're hoping to come out on the other side. So we will. I'm very uh, optimistic, buddy. I I think it's going to get better and better. I'm with you. I'm with you. Absolutely. I appreciate your optimism during this time. You've been a, uh, you've been a bright light in it all. So I really appreciate that, John. Uh, Thanks, Ryan. Take care, buddy. Stay safe. Awesome. Thanks so much, John. Take care. Bye-bye. You know, when we think about the restaurant industry, think of all the farmers, the food distributors, the food manufacturers that the restaurant industry supports. So when we support local restaurants, we're supporting an entire food chain that goes right back to the farmer. So this is really, really important. And and the conversation that we had uh, uh, about supply side and how it impacts everyone down the line is so critical. So remember, when you support your local restaurant, you're supporting everyone else down that supply chain. That's really, really important. And I want to say again, our government must look at some type of an inventory credit or an inventory stimulus so that we can get past this hump and get our supply side going again. All right, Corey, who do we have next? All right, this is the last one. It's Max. He has a really interesting story from the wedding industry. Max, John Taffer here. 
Hi, how's it going? I'm good. How you doing? I'm, I've been better, but uh, well, we all have been better. I think uh, maybe you could help. You could help me through some of this uh, nonsense we're going through. Yeah, where are you? You in Jersey? I'm in Jersey. Yeah, I, I'm actually staying. Uh, I work with my family. We're in a family business, 103 years in business, and I'm staying with them through this. Uh, uh, what part of Jersey? We, we're located. Lo- Excuse me. We're located in Livingston, New Jersey. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Wow, 102 year old family business. Yeah, it's uh, since 1917. Um, wow. We've been doing it for a long time. We're in the hospitality business. We don't know anything about pandemics, and we're just doing what we can. And what part of the hospitality business are you in? So we have a uh, wedding venue, which is our bread and butter, but we also do event catering, event production, and a lot of uh, different aspects of the event world. Uh, but our bread and butter is our venue. Wow. And your venue, of course, is dark. It's dark. Um, it's it's called the Crystal Plaza in Livingston. Uh, we have postponed all the events through July, um, and it's uh, it doesn't even seem like that's enough at this point. And you know, I feel for all the clients. I'm just the government's just not giving us enough information to really Plan. do anything. I mean, what what else, what are we supposed to do? Kind of situation. Yeah, I I can totally understand that. I have a dear friend who just canceled a wedding in August. Believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, and it was yeah. a wedding with a lot of out-of-town people, and they weren't even assured that the hotels would be open for people to come in and all the other support things around you. I mean, you need hotel rooms around you to have weddings, too. Right? Yeah, and, it, and, and, and all, the, all the vendors need us. You know, as much of as that is the case, the DJs can't work. The florists can't work. You know, it, and Linen it's companies. unfortunate because, yeah, and it's unfortunate because when the government, and I hate to just keep the government into one term, but when they you know, say hospitality, they think restaurants, and they, but they don't think the wedding venues. The people that are making decisions probably look at the wedding venue and our industry sort of like giant stadium or Yankee stadium when it's, when it's really not. No, it isn't. 400. Um, and, 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 I, and I do get the feeling that they group us into that category. They do, and there's been a lot of grouping, which is very, very unreasonable. You know, outdoor venues have been grouped in with indoor venues. Bars have been grouped in with restaurants. But, you know, they say the yeah. restaurant can be at 50% capacity, but nobody can walk up to the bar. Nobody can sit at the bar. So, by effect, they've closed the bar within the restaurant, right? Except, for, of course, table yeah, service. And, so, and here, you know better than anyone else. At 50%, 50% capacity, how is your bar supposed to make money? You can't possibly make money. And so, so no, how many seats is your venue in a banquet setting? So, we could fit up. Yeah, so we could fit up to 400. Uh, that's our capacity, but our average size year-end is, is about 175. Gotcha, that's okay. Our, that's, you know, our, our happy place. Yep, I was going to guess about two, two and a quarter, so I wasn't that far off. Yep. So, you know what scares me is, is you have all these dates that you're pushing back to the fall, let's say, and you're going to start to conflict with your availabilities next year. So this doesn't quite end. Yeah. What's going to happen is you're going to lose Sundays yeah. next year to events that should have been this year. So, so this yep. year you take the revenue hit next year, because again, the double bookings and, and just no, no availability, yep. you take a second hit next year with business that you've already booked. That's what worries me. So it's really a two year cycle. That's our biggest. And, and that John, you're hitting it right on the head because that's the thing that, that our clients, you know, and I hear their perspective, but it's just the thing that they can't grasp. Yeah. And it's the thing I want to just get through to them is that. It's not just your event. We're, we've, we've moved over 100 events so far. It's, it's a lot of moving parts. But that's 100 days of availability that you've taken out of your future. 
So it's a double hit. You lost the revenues now, and then you lose a second event down the road, or you defer your revenues now, and then you lose a second event down the road. It's a horrifying scenario. But but here's what I think. Here's what I think. I think, first of all, we're getting closer to some government plans. And and I'm with you, buddy. I share Mm -hmm. your frustration incredibly. What's shocking to me Mm -hmm. is how one state can have regulations so different than another when we're all using the same science. Either I can be six feet from you or I can't be six feet from you right? (laughs) So if I'm six feet from you, what's the difference if I'm in a bar, a restaurant, or a wedding venue? And what's the difference if we're standing in Ohio or we're standing in Texas, either we're six feet apart wearing masks or we're not. (laughs) So I share your frustration completely. And and you know, when I take a look at, 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 you're in Columbus, right? Are you in Columbus, Ohio? Uh, I'm sorry. What was that? Where are you? What city are you in? I'm in, I'm in New Jersey. Oh, that's right. Sorry, we're in Jersey. So when you take a look at what's happening in Jersey, it's the second hotspot in the country. But I believe the following, and I've said this earlier before on the show, but you know, we're very close to respiratory blockage. I'm on the board of a hospital and I get some great inside information, buddy. And we're very close to a respiratory blocker. And there are some cancer medications and other medications that they're in trials now. And some of it has hit the news. Some of it hasn't. Because candidly, they don't want stock prices to surge and people to go crazy on these things. So some of these things are kept undercover for a while. But a respiratory blocker is a huge ordeal. That means you could get the virus but not have the respiratory infection or uh, 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 the fatalities. So that's really close. That's, and it's an uh, existing drug. That's significant. That's very, that's very significant. significant. And, and so, so, John, why, why are they keeping that a secret? Well, you know, I think some of this is stock market manipulation and some of those kinds of things. And, you know, if this thing mm-hmm. gets out, stock prices go up, the company, you know. So there's sure. a lot of behind-the-scenes elements, and, and I don't claim to be the financial expert to know that, other than a lot of these things are done behind closed doors. Now, the drug that I'm talking about is an existing drug, and, and again, it shows real promise, and I get it from very, very reliable situations. We also know that the first round of the vaccine trials went really well, 100%. So yep. it did great, yep. and it created more antibodies than a virus would have. So when we look at this stuff, those are all great things. But the fact of the matter is, buddy, we're looking at next year. You know, the reality of it is mm-hmm. you're probably not going to be in full swing. God, I hate to say this, in September or October. You know, probably November, yeah. December, January is when these things will start to come together. So with, without you knowing our, you know, you know, the industry, but our specific business and, and just taking a step back, how, how late would you be postponing events as the venue? If you were me. Fall. I'd be looking at fall probably. I mean, right now for fall. conversation's sake, let's say we're in June right now. If the summer drops, we could get very lucky, and we haven't seen the heat impact on the virus that a lot of people said we might. At least we haven't seen it yet. And I'm here in Las Vegas, buddy, and it's right. hot as hell here, but people are still getting sick. Right. So, so I'm not sure what the summer impact is going to be. And what's horrifying mm-hmm. is you don't want to tell them October, November, and then have an empty August when you could be making revenue either, <laughs> right? So that's, that's, yeah. that's the I double mean, that's, whammy. That's the answer. That's, that's exactly our point, is that if, if the government would just come out and say, it is September, then tell us that, right. and then we can move August. But until they tell us that, we have to hold people to contracts, and now we're the bad guy. I'd rather the government be the bad guy, not me. Well, some of them are listening. As a matter of fact, I know of some politicians who are listening this week, and I think you raise a very good point. Also, if you knew that you were going to open, let's say, September 1st, just for conversation's sake, 
You can now mm-hmm. budget yourself to sustain between now and September 1st. You can put your budgets together. Yeah. You know you got three months to deal with. You'll deal with the three months. You'll put the numbers together. You'll deal with it. You can put your sales plans together. You can start booking out next yeah. year. Everything would change if you just had a date. Yeah, it's uh, it's true. And, and you know, we're on a, a group call with a lot of the biggest venues. You know, we're renowned as one of the top. We're on a call with a lot of the top venues in New Jersey. I've heard of and, your venue. Uh, I've heard of your venue. Yeah, thank you. And and we we're it's so great to see these venues coming together and unifying and saying we need to get through this together. And we're getting you know we're we're trying to formulate a proposal. We're trying to govern ourselves because they're not coming in and telling us what to do. But we these are hardworking people. All these venues. These are family run businesses. We're not trillionaires. We're not billionaires sitting around. You know we want to work. We we do events. We throw parties. Yeah. Uh, we don't. We don't like dealing with contracts. It's not what we do. We're here to make people happy. I was and just going to so say, for me because I'm, I was just going to say, you're in the business of making people well, smile. I'm used, I'm exactly. I'm I'm used to brides loving me, right. and now they hate me, and it's such a weird dynamic. Yeah, it really is. Can I tell you a funny story for a minute, just to make you smile? Please. So years yeah. ago, I was vice president of a hotel company. I won't mention a hotel company, and I had to go babysit a hotel in Evanston, in Illinois. We used to call the hotel the mistake, by the lake. I won't say what hotel it is, but the general manager was in a hospital and I was babysitting this hotel. And I'm sitting in his office. You're going to like this story, buddy. I'm sitting in his office and I'm flipping through papers in his office as I'm babysitting the hotel. And I see a banquet event order for a wedding literally the next day. It's Friday. The wedding is Saturday. So I call down to the chef. I say, you're set for this wedding tomorrow? He goes, what wedding? So the GM wrote the piece of business, never did the contract, never sent it to anyone. So now I'm burning up the phone lines. I get the food. I get the cake. I get everything completely in order. The place is ready to go. But there's no champagne toast on the contract. And that was very unusual to me. So I called the GM in the hospital. I said, there's no champagne toast. He goes, no, 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 no. They specifically said no champagne toast. And then the room was set for 240 in a room that holds about 190. So... I said, how can you do that? It's not going to fit in room. Make a long story short, I got the food. I had to borrow champagne. I'm sorry, I had to borrow glasses, plates from another hotel in the city. I had to reset the room. I got all 240 people in. I got the room set, and the cake arrives. Now, the cake is a multi-level cake. You've seen this 100 times. It's got the big box, the smaller box, the smaller box, and the smaller box, right? And then the cake comes in pieces, and we got to put the cake together. Well, there was a freight elevator in this hotel, and it went to the second floor, which is where the banquet rooms were. And I had a pet peeve with this GM because this freight elevator was disgustingly dirty and it broke half the time. Well, we get the cake in the elevator. The elevator gets stuck between the floors. Now I have to pass the cake out through the hatch in the top of this dirty, disgusting elevator. Well, the small box fits. The second box fits. The third box fits. The fourth box just misses. So we got to take the round cake out of the square box and then it'll make it through this disgusting hatch in the top of the elevator. So we take the round cake out of the square box. We're pushing it up the hatch in the elevator. It slides into the back wall of the elevator. And now the cake is about 190 degrees. It's flat all on the back. So we finally get the cake out of the elevator. It's completely destroyed. Now I got to reset the room because the cake has to be in the corner so I can hide the back of it. (laughs) So we, we reset the room. I'm making whipped cream to patch the back of the cake as best as I can. The groom's father walks in. He's the first one to arrive. The wedding party is right behind him. He looks at the room. The first thing he says to me is, where are the champagne glasses for the champagne toast? (laughs) 
<laughs> so now I had to get 80 bottles of champagne in a half hour, get the glasses set. In any event, I pulled off the wedding. The bride and the groom were very happy in the end, and none of them knew really that any of this had happened. Isn't that the best part? When it is. Because it happens, and you're... And you're so- it is, but you know, that's what you're great at, buddy. You know, your, your family for 102 years have made people smile. You've provided events that has lasted a lifetime. Think of all the wedding books and the photo albums and how many lives that you've touched. That is not going to end. You will be back yeah, doing so, this. Uh, Whether it's two months, three months, four that. months, you will be back doing this, buddy. I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I appreciate you. I know that this isn't necessary. I know you're in this lane, but this isn't necessarily your lane. I appreciate you taking my call, man. You know, it's we, we're all banding together. The hospitality world's coming together, and when this is all done, I'll tell you what, everyone's going to be partying. That's the good news. That is the good news. So do me a favor. I'd love to hear from you in a few weeks when you guys open up. Let me know how it all works out, okay? That, yeah, how, how can I uh, get in touch with you? I'll have Corey give you an email address, and you can send Actually, you can just send me a note to podcast at johntafford.com. That's great. And I I'll respond. I want to touch base with you in a few weeks, see how you guys are doing, okay? Awesome. Thanks so much, John. I appreciate your time. My pleasure. Good talking. Well, Max is in a real dilemma, and it comes back to our government and sciences. And as I said, talking to him, I don't understand why capacities are different from state to state and rules are different from state to state. It's the same damn virus, no matter where we are. So it's time for our government to give us some dates, some statistics. If it needs to be farther out to protect yourself, then do it. Tell us September 1st. Tell us October 1st. Tell us what it is so people like Dan can plan their businesses correctly. People can have their weddings. They can have their confirmations. They can have their bar mitzvahs. It's critical that we have some date that we can all count on to go forward. And I'm putting the pressure on our government now to start doing that. Jersey needs to step up and provide the industry in New Jersey with some type of a date that they can rally around and build their calendars around. That date is critical to our survival. I'll be right back. Don't shut down this podcast. John Taffer will be right back. Well, this was an amazing show talking to everybody. I think I'm going to do this again next week, Corey. This was really... Uh, uh, a lot of great conversations came out of this. But, you know, weeks ago, I was not in the best of places myself, guys. I've had a lot of low points during this thing, and it's tough, particularly the afternoons can get very difficult. But as I sit here now, I know that things are better than they were a month ago. I know it, Corey, don't you? I do. I'm, I can, you can just feel it in the air. I go out in the street. There's more cars out there. I drive by restaurants. There's people in front of restaurants waiting to go in. The drive throughs have lines around the corner. So it's starting to happen now. So let's just all move in this direction. It's an exciting time, really. Let's embrace the excitement of a new beginning. And let's start to throw away the pain of this pandemic. It's time to move forward, folks. Let's go to work. Let's force our government to throw some dates and deadlines on us. Together, we're almost out of this thing. Hang in there. Talk to you next week. Subscribe to the John Tapper Podcast right now for more episodes every Thursday.